Welcome to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, I'm Fraser Allen. Welcome to episode 90. If you've had any interaction with the Scottish marketing industry, you will almost certainly have heard of Tayburn, one of the leading agencies in Scotland for more than four decades. Our guest in this episode is Richard Simpson, who joined Tayburn 14 years ago before participating in a management buyout to become co-owner and joint managing director. Many big marketing agencies have fallen by the wayside over the years, but Tayburn has managed to keep adapting to the rapid transformation of the marketplace. Originally known for traditional branding and annual reports, it then moved into the design and build of websites, but now positions itself as a creative and commercially astute strategic partner. Although Richard will explain that much better than me. We'll also hear about his passion for sport, particularly rugby and CrossFit, his love of sneakers, and what he likes to rustle up in the kitchen. I had a few strange technical gremlins that meant the quality of my audio wasn't up to the usual mark, but Richard is a great listen and comes across crisp and clear. This episode was recorded on the 20th of January, 2023. Richard Simpson, great to get you on the podcast this morning. Where in the world do we find you today? Uh, you find me in sunny Morham, which uh-huh. is a hamlet just outside Haddington on the way to Gifford and Garvel. So a part of the world I know you know quite well. But, yeah, um, you're not far from me at all. I wonder whether you might be from today, but it, it is a Friday, so probably wise to just uh, ease yourself into the weekend a bit later on. Indeed, and all the snow as well. So we've still got we've still got a wee bit covering, uh, we've been covering outside. So yeah. Yeah, it's very, very picturesque. Now, let's start as we usually do on the on the series and go right back to the beginning. So, Richard, tell us a, a bit about uh, where you grew up, what life was like, and and what sort of career you dreamt of as a, as a young lad. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, grew up in South Edinburgh, uh, two working parents, younger brother, um, never wanted for anything. Uh, so I had a, a very, uh, very happy childhood and, and family life um i guess as a, as a kid i uh was pretty hyperactive and so i think my my mother used to try and burn a lot of the energy in me by getting me to do lots of sport and so sport's been a recurring theme in my life and i mean it's it sort of I've, I've tried just about everything i think at, at some point but certainly in my in my early early years it was football basketball uh golf and tennis and then latterly rugby was my was my real real passion um and then yeah as, as in terms of career i never really i mean i was it's a typical of a, of a of a young lad young active lad sort of everything from vet to spaceman to footballer rugby player etc etc rugby players were wasn't a job when i played um so that wasn't really a, a professional option back then but um i certainly loved it but then when about the age of 15 16 um uh, an extended family member worked in in the realm of PR actually and it was at that point I started to understand a bit more about it was advertising actually so I thought I heard listen to some of his stories and uh tales of lavish lunches and he drove a nice Jaguar and been very materialistic at that point in my life uh, I thought this sounds brilliant uh getting paid to eat lunch and driving a fancy car I'm gonna I'm gonna work in advertising and it's funny how it kind of worked out because I guess that led me to select the course that I did with with Napier, um, which gave me that sort of initial footing. 
funny how those little moments in your life can influence the rest of your life so so profoundly. Yeah. And so, yeah, you went off to Napier and, and studied marketing. I was going to ask you, you know, where you'd be most likely to be found, whether it be in the bar <laughs> or the picture in the library. It sounds like a bit, a bit of all three. Uh, it's definitely a little library, I'm afraid, Fraser. <laughs> uh, that's very nice of you to think uh, that. Uh, certainly a, a younger version of myself, absolutely not. No, it was sports pitch and bar. And actually, if I'm honest with you, probably too much in the bar. Otherwise, things in the sports pitch might have played out a bit differently. But... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, before, a good time. before we get more on to the kind of Tayburn side of things, I mean, I, I heard that you, you got a quite illustrious rugby pass. So tell us a, a bit about that. <laughs> so what, what happened with, who, who were you playing for? How did that develop? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say illustrious. That's very, that's very kind of you. Um, I, I was very, very lucky to play at a time when uh, it was before the professional teams uh, Edinburgh and Glasgow. So the top class rugby in Scotland at that point was 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 clubs, uh, Division One clubs, and so I played for Watsonians. And at that point, we were putting out five or six teams. We we're actually, funnily enough, we're doing that again now, um, which is fantastic. The, the club are, are going very well, um, albeit in very different circumstances to what it was twenty five years ago. Um, but um, yeah, 1995, I mean, you know, to give you an indication, I, I was lucky enough to play a few games for the first team. Uh, my first game for the first team coincided with Rob Wainwright. Um, it was his first game for the club. And in that team was the the late Tom Smith, um, British and Irish Lions legend. And then obviously another British and Irish Lions legend, um, Gavin Hastings as well. So as a 19-year-old kid getting the opportunity to even stand on the same pitch of these guys, you know, sort of, wide-eyed and 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 loving the experience and I think that was the you know that was the wonderful thing about the club at, at that time um or, or the game at that time the, the the amateur game um you had this this mingling um between uh young young folk wanting to uh see how how their, their rugby would, would play out um you had uh, other folk who obviously had had jobs and and were um you know Playing socially, and then and then you had um, obviously the, the the guys who were playing international rugby as well. So it was an amazing time. So um, in terms of of the kind of marketing career, you originally you started working with Elmwood in Edinburgh, I think, on the kind of new business front. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I, um, I I had the opportunity to join the Edinburgh office. Uh, they they ran the three at that point. They had um, London, Leeds, and and um, and Edinburgh, um, and a burgeoning office in in Melbourne, over in Australia. And um, Leeds was very much the epicenter at that point. Um, however, they were um, looking to expand out the way. And I joined Elmwood Edinburgh. A very exciting time. It was run quite autonomously, and uh, we're having a, a lot of success as well. And it was a it was a great team, and and I think you know you you look back at certain uh, roles in your career, and there are uh, certain circumstances that just all seem to come together at once. So there was a lovely camaraderie. Um, still in touch with a lot of the the people today, and they've all gone off to do really interesting things. Many have founded their own agencies and uh, been award winning creatives in in their own right, and. Um, and then being 
part of a business led by someone like Jonathan Sands is a, a very inspirational figure and he's done incredibly well. Uh, you know, it really gave me a, a sense of um, ambition, uh, aspiration and and opportunity. And, you know, the, the, the agency had a great proposition. Um, I had very interesting uh, methodologies and approaches. It had great case studies and, and clients. And so that allowed us to pick up lots of really, really good, great work. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was a very, it was a very happy time and, and a, a wonderful sort of first senior role to to have. And and of course, the, the next step was was Tabor. And any, anybody working in Scottish business over the last couple of decades, I'm sure would have almost certainly heard of Tabor, one of the big names in the kind of marketing side of things. So I mean, you've been there for what, 14 years or something now, Richard, I think? Years. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, absolutely. 2008, I think. So. And now you're one of the co-owner, I, I believe. And so, that's yeah, right. just a bit about, I mean, what happened, you know, why you joined and how the, the business has, has, has developed over, over the years. Yeah, well, I mean, you're right. I mean, at, at that point, um, there were a number of, uh, well, I say at that point, as, as when I'd been working at Elmwood, there were a number of um, leading lights in in the brand design world. Obviously, navy blue and um, a, you know a more established business like Graphic Partners, um, Red Path, um, Tabern, of course, um, and then and then Elmwood. So they they were typically the the names on the. The pitch lists and um, I had a, a friend who actually I was at university with on the same course who was an account man at Tayburn and he said well they might be looking for sort of a sales a sales guy and I mean that's that's fundamentally my my skill set and background professional background is sales I'm a salesman and um, I found that's helped me in my career um, so I, I got the opportunity I got in touch with the then managing director Simon Farrell and after a few conversations, we were able to uh, carve out uh, a, a role for me um, as the head of business development. And uh, uh, you know, an awful lot has happened in the, the fourteen years since, <laughs> in terms of not well, in terms of Tayburn, I'm sure, yeah. but also in terms of the marketplace, which has obviously been Absolutely. transformed by digital marketing and so on. So, yeah. can you give us a, a, your perspective on on those changes? You know, what it's what it's felt like and what's happened. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really it's a really interesting question. You're you're, you're dead right, and the reason for a wry smile is there's been a lot of change on both sides, both within the business and and the industry as as a whole. And I think when I joined, it was a very interesting time in the world because obviously it was 2008. We were in the the grip of the the credit crisis. Uh, funnily enough, I'd actually phoned um, Simon to say, "Look, have I still got a job?" Because we obviously RBS were a key account. Um, we, we know what happened to that business. Um, Scottish and Newcastle, uh, as as was, had just been acquired by Heineken. Uh, they still remain a client today. That's a thirty odd year relationship, possibly thirty five years, dates back to Scottish Courage. Um, and then Princess, who are again another client that we still retain today, um, there's a twenty odd year relationship. So um, RBS had a difficult time. SNN was being um, acquired by Heineken. And then Princess Food and Drink Group, who have a Japanese parent company owner, Mitsubishi, had said that they had seen, you know, the challenges in the economic landscape and were cutting spend by 25%. So, you know, obviously we we at the time we we, we sort of 
Landowner owner hatches a little bit. But to be fair, the business performance was still very good. It's a very resilient business, as you'd imagine, over 43 years. Um, and really, uh, I think what's interesting is that the credit crisis, I've seen this now with the pandemic. There was a lot of talk about this just in the last couple of years, that trends that were happening, maybe f- predicted to happen about five years out, were accelerated and brought forward. And for me, that was very much digital digital marketing digital technology and and what that led to was uh, a proliferation of different channels and uh the rise of all sorts of different skill sets within within digital i mean digital to taborn was really sort of a website as an afterthought we did three things we did corporate identity branding as was corporate communications which is typically annual report and accounts and consumer brand packaging and then typically off the back of one of these projects, they'd say, oh, we need a website. <laughs> we've gone back. It's funny having this conversation because it shows how much things have moved on. Um, but there were a number of agencies that were really getting fully into design and build. And that lastly became digital transformation. You saw the rise of digital and performance marketing and uh, the implications on campaigns and, and media. Uh, so it, it, um, it, it meant that uh, actually, when we we got to the point that we were able to buy the business outright in 2014, we had Noble Grosser, the late, uh, the late Sir Angus Grosser, owned about 40, 38% of the business. Um, and so we had an opportunity to buy him out as part of some changes within the management team. But what coincided at that time was a sort of realisation that actually we needed to evolve the business to make it more relevant to um, the, the the changes within the media landscape, uh, the marketing landscape, thanks to the, the proliferation of digital technology. A, a complete transformation from the, the business that you originally joined. And I wonder, what, maybe it's an interview in 14 years' time again and see, what to, <laughs> see what's going on then. Hopefully, hopefully I'll have retired to our beach by then, <laughs> Fraser. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Um, so, I mean, I know I was having a look at your... your sort of biography that you said you said across that you've obviously been involved in hundreds of projects numerous clients and so on yeah. one that people may uh know about out there is the people make glasgow campaign which yes, is yeah. the first ever crowdsourced city brand um i just thought that'd be an interesting one to maybe talk a little bit about what what how, so what how did that develop yeah so so i mean it, it came off the back of work that we we we'd done so i mean I, again there was a there was a management buyout, as I mentioned, and and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, that, that had happened a few years before um, I had joined, and I, I sort of a key moment. So my business partner Malcolm Stewart was was part of that, and uh, as a seminal moment for the agency at that point was winning the candidature bid for the Commonwealth Games in in 2014, and I think off the back of that relationship, it led us to pick up other work uh, with with Glasgow 2014 and the organising committee, but then also Culture and Sport Glasgow. And then through these relationships, the opportunity to brand Glasgow or rebrand Glasgow while the eyes of the world as a result of the Commonwealth Games were on the city. So to to be clear, the the role that we played was very much strategic. The, The design work was actually done by another agency in Glasgow because they were contract they were on the roster for Glasgow City Council. But it was very much Tabern's strategy. And Tabern's strategy was deemed to be 
um, well, yeah, a world first, um, uh, very, very innov- innovative. You, you could, you could say, revolutionary. Because when you think about the uh, the identity of a city and, and, and the identity of the people within the city, they, they very closely identify with 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 that city as as, as part of them. So, as a as a branding consultant coming in, you, you know, you've got to question who who gives you the right to determine what the city should should mean, especially to the people that live in it. And that philosophy really dictated the strategic approach that we undertook to come up with the line people make Glasgow. Um, so it, it really started as simply as asking the people of Glasgow. It was a sort of um, bottom-up approach. What is it that makes Glasgow a, a really a really amazing place to live? Because you know, if you look at a lot of the conventions within city branding as well, typically, and I'm generalizing here as well, so it's not universally true, but typically they identify a, a prominent feature. It could be a, a monument or, or some sort of landscape piece. And and then and then they, they sort of weave that into the, the story of the city and then it's represented um, graphically, for example. But th- th- there was nothing like that. And I think Glasgow is a, a wonderful place. And it, it it's so... Uh, diverse is a lot of inequality, clearly, as well. Um, so you want something that's genuinely democratic. So by asking the people, and we did that through, um, obviously, digital channels, um, website and social, but also bearing in mind that not everybody at that point had access to these things. So good old-fashioned postcards in libraries and civic institutions um, gave everyone the opportunity to have their voice. And what was fascinating about that piece of research was that the unanimous view was that it's people that make Glasgow. And so that, that in essence, became um, became the brand. And uh, do you want to pick out maybe a couple of other campaigns over the years that maybe were unusual or you particularly yeah. enjoyed or appreciated being part of? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, in terms of appreciating being part of, clearly rugby's uh, been a big part of my life. So when we won the opportunity to reimagine the digital match day experience for Scottish rugby. Um, that was the sort of dream dream brief in many ways because um did, did we, you uh, wave the fee then? What's that, sorry? Did you wave the fee. <laughs> no, no, no. I did actually, I did write in um as part of the arrangement um some contra benefits. So we <laughs> we, we we reduced the fee a little bit and in exchange for some hospitality tickets and some player appearances which were used for actually some PR and stuff like that we got Al Kellick to come in and do a chat to the, the team as well which is brilliant it's all about values and, and team and things like that so no I mean don't, don't worry for us I made the most of that um uh but but yeah I mean the, the, the work itself was was great because obviously it meant redesigning the whole website it's an interesting challenge because you've got Scottish Rugby as an organization being the governing body of the score of the sport in Scotland um, but then fundamentally, there's this um, fan engagement piece. So the Match Day Centre, it's, it's an amazing feature. It was mobile first designed. And it effectively, it, it, it's almost like reimagining the Match Day programme um, because you've got all sorts of features that aggregate content from other sources, probably social. Um, you've got the team sheet. Uh, if you uh, click on players and there's a drop down. Um, I don't know if you know the the GPS trackers that the players have in their backs. A lot of that data is aggregated by Opta. So um, the Opta data was then pulled into the site so you could see how many metres Hoggy had made, how many 
tackles Johnny Gray had made, how many passes uh, Finn had made. It was all stuff like that. And as a as a rugby geek, you can imagine, I was um, beside myself with excitement. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I mean, in terms of an unusual thing as well, I mean, I, I've got to give a shout out to to Bull House of Bull. Um, at that point, it was it was gin. They've, they've now since launched a, a flavored vodka range as well. But um, amazing business. We've got a wonderful relationship with the directors, uh, Andrew, uh, Carlo, and, and Graham. We've worked with them for many years, and uh, it's in a lot of success off the back of their Violet gin. And so we ran a campaign, the gin on everyone's lips, and part of the evolution of that was then working with uh, Paloma Faith, uh, so we got the opportunity to shoot uh, an amazing uh, piece of content, uh, which was used in uh, all sorts of channels and, and formats. Uh, and uh, the experience of that was was great. And um, you know, it's it's a it's a private company. Um, you know, they've, they've done very well. It's a very valuable brand at retail. It punches significantly above its weight, but it's not the might of Diageo or, or a large corporate. So, you know, a, a private company based in Sterling, um, paying quite a lot of money um, to a, a renowned recording artist and consequently all the all the media spend and, and creative fees that come off the back of that as well. So um, the, the client has to be commended for their bravery. And I think, you know, it, it's a great collaboration, a great partnership. And we did a a, a beautiful piece of work, which, which you know, the team are incredibly proud of. Brilliant. Well, you covered, covered all the bases there in terms of different types of projects. That's all, all very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> to rugby to cities. Yeah. That's right. You said um, you, you said that your view of marketing, and this is a, a quote from you, Richard, is um, it's about enduring ideas that are grounded in truth, are distinctive, commercially tuned, and are bold. Mm. I just wondered if you could elaborate on that. And, you know, I guess one of the things a marketing agency does is help clients build on their USP or so on. So, what, what what's kind of what does Tayburn do that's a bit different to other agencies? Yeah, and and again, look, I, I don't wish to be a pedant um, and, and get bogged down in the semantics of describing what it is that we do. But we, you know, we, we're a, we're a strategic brand agency, and you, you know, it, it's very much about uh, creativity. Um, based on uh, identifying a, an insight uh, that resonates with with an audience, and then creatively bringing that to life. So, you know, again, for 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 context, you know, we see a lot of our engagements about being uh, solving problems, sol- solving business problems using using creativity. And so, you know, for example, it could be the launch of a new domestic ISP um, with a complete blank sheet as far as the proposition and names concerned. So trying to create something that will resonate with 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 a relevant audience. Um, or it could be, you know, reimagining a, a 300-year-old um, uh, brand, uh, which was a, a family a blender, bottler, and curator of artisanal spirits called JG Thompson, and, and giving that contemporary relevance today, building a brand world around that. So I, th- I think, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's very much about, um, you, you know, uh, being being distinct, um, standing out, um, relating it back to a truth, because I think 
you know, over the years, there's perhaps some cynicism around marketing or uh, the work that agencies do, where there's maybe, um, you know, there's a fine balance. Rory Sullivan has given a very, sorry, Rory, Rory Sutherland has given a very um, eloquent and entertaining TED Talk. I mean, it's many years old now about perceived emotional value. And when done well, it's about helping uh brands to connect to emotional insights to influence people to do things better you know to be more positive so if that's a a behavior change piece then um that's that's great um but um uh you know if if misappropriated by marketeers to encourage people to buy things that aren't very good that they don't need and damage the planet then you know that's where I think marketing has come unstuck, and and will come unstuck unless it it sort of it it it, it evolves um, to to, uh, to 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 meet uh, business needs um, effectively. So I think yeah, I mean that, that that that's what we're trying to do. And I mean I guess the context of that that line is is relating to Tayburn as well, because obviously as an agency, an independent agency, we've been around for forty three years. Um, I can think of only one other agency that's older than us in Scotland, Lewis Creative. Uh, they're fifty years, so um, you know there's there's not there's not many of us um, uh, around that that retain our independence. And so this idea of creating ideas that endure is is very important to our brand as well. Yeah, that that is some feat, you know, to to succeed for so many years. Because of course, quite a few big agencies have. Have taken a tumble over over the decades, and um, you know, success, true success, always comes with uh, difficult times as well. So, have, have there been some? There must have been some big challenges, yeah. Sayburn, over the years. You know, how, how you pick pick out one or two, and, and how you managed to sort of overcome them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think what's really interesting is that throughout my career, there's certainly been at least three Black Swan events. So, obviously, there was the terror atrocities in. Um, 9/11 uh and then uh, I mean I, I was starting out at that point um and then and then you know 2008 credit crisis which we've, we've touched on and then obviously the global pandemic and I think uh each time you uh endure one of these black swan events you acquire a greater sense of resilience because there's certain things that you recognize certain things you've seen before and also there's just an innate confidence that it's a resilient business and that you're a resilient character with experience and knows how to navigate these things. Um, to pick one out in particular, obviously, was was around the buyout in 2014, 2015, where I guess that we were probably guilty of trying to do too much at once. So I mentioned uh, the buyouts of the external investor. It coincided with a long-term FD retiring. It also coincided with a strategic direction to become a design and build agency at that point. Um uh, you know, and, and really capture the um, the 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 growth that was occurring uh, around the design and build of of websites and apps and so forth. And so, you know, we found ourselves in a position where um, our cash reserves, which had been um, abundant for many years, were very depleted. Um, we uh, had a senior uh, transition in leadership at the top of the organisation, which obviously can create unrest within the organisation. Uh, alongside a, a change in strategic direction, where we realised that certain people were 
very much committed uh, to, to the journey, others perhaps less so. And, and you know, uh, no no fault of their own. It was relating to skill sets and uh, attitude to embrace uh, new things. Um, and, and, you know, that's absolutely fine. So we, we saw a turnover in staff. We saw a turnover in clients as well, because, again, um, you know, coming back to a lot of these trends uh, that were accelerated with the credit crisis, lots of stuff being in-house, um, you know, less print being done. Um, so, you know, that was affecting um, certainly the corporate business at that point. And um, yeah, it was it was really just it felt like it all it all came at, it all came at once. Um, so Malk and I sort of sitting there, so sort of January the January twenty fifteen, going, oh my god! And it was really right. Well, look, we need to we need to get on top of our cost base. We need to grow our sales. So we do that by focusing in on our clients, and particularly our our best client relationships, where we've got clear opportunity to to nurture and develop and and continue to advise and grow with them has to be an emphasis on net new business as well and and with that we started creating margin with the margin we started investing back into our uh bank balance and and those reserves started growing up again and then you know you find yourself you're, you're back at that point where you're able to invest and and um and yeah um it was uh it was a moment i yeah not one i'd necessarily want to repeat again but um I am genuinely incredibly grateful for it because it's given me a whole set of skills and experiences that um, well benefit me now and benefits the business now. But actually, I would very much like to um, support other creative professionals and creative entrepreneurs on their journeys um, at some point. So I'm always very open to that. I mean, there's been a lot of people who have been very supportive and helpful to me in my career so it's an opportunity to use that to pay it forward again well, no no pressure on you as the salesperson then at that point <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no well i mean it's something i think it sort of appears to my archetype i think i've got that sort of i don't know what it is uh, there's a sort of is it the, the sort of the, the desire to be the hero <laughs> So they go mean, adversity is, you know, can be valuable, can't it? As as it was in, in that case, you know, you, you end up doing things that otherwise you just wouldn't have been driven yeah. or inspired to do. So, so Richard, 2023, Tayburn, been through a lot, achieved a lot. What are the big ambitions for the business now and the, and the key challenges you face? 2023 is, it's it's really, it's really interesting time. Obviously, just the, the world has, has changed pretty significantly off the back of, um, uh, the, the pandemic, um, certainly the, the the way of way of working. Um, again, as the proliferation of technology, the rate and pace of that change as well accelerates. Um, seen, you know, increasing commoditization in 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 certain services. Um, I mean, that was one of the reasons we exited design and build. Um, strategically, we were caught in the in the in the middle, in the, the dangerous ground, in in, in the middle. Um, and I think that actually the opportunity for us is back to what I was saying earlier about using ideas and creativity to solve business problems. I think uh, professional services are changing a lot in general. You see that talking to accountants. You just have to look at the developments that. PwC, Deloitte, Accenture, have made you know the acquisition of Camarama, um, the creation of uh, Deloitte Digital 
um, uh, have a friend who's a media guy, um, career media guys, um, uh, senior director at PwC, tasked with growing up a marketing practice within within their business. So I think there's a there's a sort of there's a, there's a convergence across professional services, and so there's a need to operate at that um, strategic level with with clients and and bringing our creativity to bear through insightful strategy and and impactful creative flair. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And then from a from a challenge perspective, I mean, I think it it's 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 probably it's it's it relates to the industry. Um, there's a lot more hybrid working um, for our business. It, it suits us. I think we've transitioned to that model very very well. Um, we have a very senior, experienced team. Um, we've got a lot of miles under the belt. Self starting, self autonomous, very collaborative. Um, so. We know that when we need to get together, we can get together in person, but then equally um, when there's work to be done, actually going away and doing that from home um, or, or you know, basically not in a, in a, in a busy, hectic office is, 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 very, is very productive. Um, so while that suits us, um, I think the industry as a whole, if many agencies are adopting that approach, there's less opportunity for younger people to experience life in an agency office environment. And speaking personally for my career, one of the reasons I was able to accelerate my path so quickly, I believe, was as the sales guy, typically I would work very closely with the managing director. So I was getting access to all manner of conversations that my peers who were more delivery focused weren't having. And so I learned through osmosis. And it's the same with creative interns or yeah, any intern actually coming into the business to be in and around people day in, day out. Initially at the start of their career, there's a real opportunity to absorb a lot of a lot of learning. So it's not to catastrophize or or doomsay because I think there's a lot of positives from this hybrid approach of working remotely, but also um collaborating together in person. Um but I you know I I, I do think that um, that opportunity to fast track learning through osmosis isn't what it used to be, and, and that could be a bit of a challenge. Very interesting. I mean, it's so much, so much uncertainty in the world at the moment as well, and changes that that I guess you have to be prepared for the unexpected over the years to come as well. Yeah. You know, in all kinds of fields. But I want to ask you a pretty um, sure. a tough question now, Richard. <laughs> Personal branding is important in the world of marketing, and uh, I believe that you are a self-confessed sneakerhead. So what is the fascination that you've got with sneakers? Uh, guide us through some of your favourites. So you can you can see my my favourites on the wall behind me. Um, oh, on the wall? I thought they were flying ducks or something. I mean, are you like the older Marcus of sneakers in East Lothian? <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, Nike is my favourite brand. It's, it's specifically Nike, Nike sneakers. Um that I, I I collect. Uh, I mean, it's a very modest collection. Uh, in in the scheme of things, I mean, there's you know people with literally hundreds of thousands of of, of sneakers. Um, I don't have anywhere near that. I, I my wife would would shoot me um, uh, for the for taking up the space. Never mind the the financial. Come on, give us a, give us a rough number. Uh, probably oh I don't know twenty five or something like that. So it's it's, it's pretty All it's right. pretty yeah it's pretty pretty modest. 
Um, it's quite, it's quite a lot, but it's pretty <laughs> modest. And, and I mean, a chunk of them are, are what they call beaters, so I wear them. Um, but obviously, I've got a number that are what I call de- called dead stock. You don't wear them, and you treat them as basically an alternative asset class. So, um, how, how it started? I mean, I've, I've always loved Nike. Again, it's my interest in sport, and um, you know, there's 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 a few sources of inspiration. So, Phil Knight's a story of Nike shoe dog. It's his biography, but it reads as a novel. It's brilliant. It charts the days from founding the brand, as was Blue Ribbon, and they imported Onitsuka Tiger track shoes and sold them to runners. And they actually were instrumental in creating um, running and jogging as a as a sort of pastime beforehand. Anyone that ran or jogged was considered a bit of a weirdo. Um, and so I think that was, if I get my dates wrong, it was early 70s. And it, it sort of tracks the growth of the brand to sort of early to mid eighties, and of course, you know, that's obviously when it started to realise its its unreasonable levels of growth and, and success. And then another book I read recently is the former CMO. He, he recently left uh, the business after twenty five years service. Greg Hoffman, and he's an amazing guy, and he's written a, a beautiful book called Emotion by Design, and it's really helped. Rek- well, not helped rekindle, but I think it's really helped remind me of. We talk a lot about the changes that, that go on within marketing, but there's some, still some fundamental approaches and, and components of it that that that's remain as relevant today as they ever have done, particularly around strategic positioning, emotional insight, and using uh, discerning design and, and creativity to to create um, campaigns and and uh, communications artifacts that 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 build brands and. Um, I think a lot of that can get overlooked as a result of the Silicon Valley growth hacking. And I'm not knocking it. I mean, there's a lot of people who've done very well, make a lot of money and have created a lot of success if if that's what you determine as being successful growth and, and money. Uh, there's obviously other factors within success. Um, but um, I'm not knocking that. But it, it often comes at the expense of that considered strategic, you know, almost artistic, artisanal approach to design and, and creativity and i think that that book really 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 mentions that really really um tells that story there's a, a great series on netflix as well about great designers and one of the one of the episodes features tinker hatfield who's a famous nike shoe designer so nike Air jordan fives are the ones you can see on my above my uh, right shoulder um the design inspiration for that comes from him watching Michael Jordan play basketball and just watching him weave in and out the play, almost like a um, World War II fighter playing in a dogfight. So if you look at some of the um, graphical treatments and designs and and um, the the feel of the shoe, you can see where that inspiration has come from. And it's just it's these sort of stories. It just it catches me there. I get really excited about stuff like that. Well, I mean, I was being a bit frivolous with the question, but there's clearly a, actually a strong link between your your love of, of trainers and your sort of passion for marketing and design and yeah. and, and design history. And, I guess, and sport. Sense, well. I mean, the, the Nike brand is all about you know just do it. It's this idea of the of of athletes. I mean, okay, you you watch uh, Serena Williams and Michael Jordan and and all these amazing athletes over the over the years and. While they seem completely untouchable, there's something about the way that Nike communicates that makes you feel that you can bring a part of that into into your life. So as a as a middle aged uh, crossfitter, 
<laughs> you know, that's something. That's something that I'm, I'm gonna. I, yeah, I, I can. I can. I can buy into. <laughs> well, yeah. Talking of which, uh, I mean, you, you told me we, we met each other briefly before yeah. Christmas at an event, and and I was asking you about CrossFit, and you said it had actually changed your life. So, I mean, people listening may not know what CrossFit is. Could you explain a bit? Yeah. About what it is about and then how it's how you feel it's so changed you, you. you broken rule number one fraser with that never ask a crossfitter to talk about crossfitter yeah crossfitting because you'll be there <laughs> you'll be there all, all day um so look i'll i'll um I'll, I'll try and keep this as succinct as possible but it's a it's effectively a fitness methodology that is also a sport of fitness so it combines all the domains of fitness strength speed power balance coordination agility um and so forth and so if you if you think about recognized sports like olympic weightlifting and powerlifting and uh, uh triathlons and um gymnastics and these sort of things and, and and you jumble that all up into one sport and one fitness methodology that's effectively what crossfit is the thing that i find really interesting is if you ask the question um who's the fittest person in the world you know what what would your your answer be and I mean, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a rhetorical question, but it's amazing the, the variance and answers that come back. And I've had Usain Bolt. Well, he's great. He's very fast, but you ask him to run 10K, he's hopeless. Okay, you go to 10K, you say, well, Mo Farah then. But actually, if you noticed when he won mm-hmm. his double gold at the Olympics, he couldn't actually physically pick up his daughter because he was so spent. So a crossfitter is able to run 10K <laughs> and then lift 100 kilos above their head, you know. So, so, yeah. so it, you know, there's there's lots of different domains of fitness, which means that actually – you know, in theory, um, uh, it, it's given us it's it's given an objectivity to quite a subjective question about fitness, and it means that you know the CrossFit champions, the CrossFit Games champions, can lay credible claim to being the fittest people on earth because they can run they can run kind of eighteen minute five k's, and they can do one hundred and fifty kilo clean and jerks, and uh, you know they're 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 competitive across all these different. Um, movements and, and things so it's just this is an early morning activity <laughs> isn't it you'll be found somewhere in a, in a wood for, somewhere for, for me running yeah, around. yeah for me oh. yeah i mean it, 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 typically the most gyms they tend to have their classes in the morning and in the afternoon and they might be the lunchtime thing but for me just the way my my schedule is i, I like to I make an early star I, I became an accredited coach in 2019 as well so i've got my cfl one so i actually take a class on a monday morning at half six uh coach that and then, um, and then I'll train afterwards. So, um, so yeah, no, I, I I love it. Yeah. One sort of final main question that we we always ask on on this is if you were to give one piece of advice to the young Richard Simpson setting out into the world, what yeah. would yeah. it be? Be wary, be wary of middle aged versions of yourself trying to give you advice. Is <laughs> always my my sort of pithy answer. But no, I mean it's a it's an it's a really interesting one because obviously you know we 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 are here now. And, you know, the past doesn't exist anymore. Um, so, uh, you know, there, there there is a there is a tendency to want to look back and 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 change things. But actually, it's all part of life's rich journey. And yes, there's trials and tribulations, and um, you know, uh, ecstatic moments and tragic moments for for many. But it's it's all part of the journey. And I guess the the key is just to try and enjoy it as 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 much as 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 possible and so i suppose it, it is really just just yeah just you know okay objective advice to to young people starting out 
let's reframe it that way. I think a lot of it is in in belief. Belief is what's possible. I mean, if if you are able to imagine um, what a successful career could look like to you, then you know, spend some time thinking and feeling into that, and you'll be amazed at what will happen. Great advice. And we're going to finish with five quick questions. Are you ready? <laughs> What's the first record you ever bought? Oh, um, it was well. It technically, technically, it was a cassette, um, and it was three feet high and rising by De La Soul. Oh, okay, right. That, that, yeah, that yeah. You. yeah, I can, I can see the yeah, being a, being a sort of yeah middle class, privately educated kid from Morningside, you know, you can see hip hop as uh, as a close affinity. That's right. <laughs> Um, what, what does your perfect weekend look like? Going to going going down to the gym, coach class, then train. Then it's done by Fox Lake, the gym, go training strokes. So we tend to go over in the summertime when the boardwalk cafe is open and pick and roll on a coffee with buddies and just sit and soak up the sun and watch people doing the wakeboarding on, on Fox Lake. Then home and um, family time, take the dogs for a walk with with my wife. Got a whip in a Jack Russell, so that's always quite lively. Um, and then, um, yeah, maybe a bit of sport, probably rugby, uh, ideally. And then, uh, and then family meal. Uh, I love to cook, so I'd uh, yeah, I'd cook something and hope everyone eats it. <laughs> What's your signature dish then? If you're gonna, uh, yeah, friends turn up unexpectedly. Well, yeah, so it's it's a well. It's a bit, it's a bit boring, but I like it. roast roast beef is my is my is my special. I've got it, I've got it down like all the all the the bits as well. I can do it with my eyes closed, and we're lucky we've got an amazing butcher in East Linton as well. Linton butcher, so I always get like a a rib roast there. So that would be it. But but I've got a I've got a chicken pie recipe which is amazing as well, which I love. That's a bit of a go to. Making me hungry. I've not actually had any breakfast today. <laughs> um, okay, who's your hero? Oh dear! Well, this this has changed so much over the years. Um, I think my hero currently is uh, an amazing gentleman called Rupert Spira. Um, he was a a potter uh, who's who's become a a philosopher, and um, he's a very uh, articulate and eloquent individual who I can sit and just listen to for ages. Um, he's almost the sort of the the uncle that that you sort of wish you'd had sort of thing. But uh, my, my parents are both only children, so I've got no right. aunts and uncles or cousins or anything like that. So I could, yeah. So there's, yeah. Oh well, I'm really interesting. I've not, not heard of him, so yeah. Yeah, no, he's a very interesting man. And finally, a ridiculous question. I know, I know you like uh, the, the occasional whiskey, um, but if you can answer this one, then, uh, you know, big respect. But if you were a whiskey, which one would you be and why? Uh, so, J.G. Uh, Thompson, uh, they've got delicious blended whiskies. We, we have the great privilege of, of working with them. And um, the one that they have is rich. It happens to be my my favourite whiskey. Um, and it's the abbreviation of my name. So there you go. Chidi <laughs> Thompson, Rich. There you go. Good answer. Good answer. Well, Richard, thank you very much. It's been uh, it's been a real pleasure to to hear 
part of your story and your and your thoughts. Oh, it's amazing to see you, Fraser. Thank you so much for having me on. And and uh, yeah, yeah. Best wishes to to you. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back with another episode soon. Bye for now. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.